Thank you so much, Julia. Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I, too, want to welcome you to Riceville United Methodist on a beautiful uh, first Sunday of April. Uh, you can tell that Easter is right around the corner. We're in the middle of Azalea Festival, of course, right now. And I, I hope everyone is having a, a great, great weekend. Um, I, I got to tell you, I'm really enjoying this spring following the children's Sunday school lessons and using that as our scripture um, for each Sunday's sermons here in worship. Um, and especially right now, because in the, in the Revised Common Lectionary, they kind of squeeze Holy Week into, into one week, beginning with Palm Sunday and then, of course, uh, celebrating on uh, Monday, Thursday or, or with a Good Friday service, and then you have Easter. But here, by following the Children's Sunday School lesson, we have stretched out Holy Week over several weeks, and we're able to zero in and focus on, um, on smaller portions of what took place um, in, the, in the last hours uh, before the crucifixion, and I, I think we're able to get a little bit deeper into the story, and so I've really appreciated that um, over the last month or so. Um, today we're in Matthew chapter 26, and we're telling another important part of the story. This is about Peter's denial, beginning in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he went out to the porch, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you also are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to curse, and he swore an oath, I do not know the man. At that moment, the cock crowed. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and gracious God, Lord, you speak to us in a still, small voice, and oftentimes through very subtle and common ways. Holy God, we pray that you will speak to us again this morning, that we would hear your word and heed your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The comedian and author David Sedaris, who grew up in Raleigh, does a routine where he says that when he meets a person from another culture, um, he likes to ask them lots of questions about their culture. Um, so if, if they're from a different country, you know, he'll start asking questions about that country. And he says one of the things that really gets people talking is asking them, what sound does the rooster make in your country? I never thought to ask that question, right? Never occurred to me. But in other countries, the rooster does not say cock-a-doodle-doo. So with the rooster playing such a prominent role in today's scripture, I decided to look it up. What does the rooster say in other countries? Well, in Spanish, for instance, the rooster says, Kiki Riki. But in French, it is Coco Rico. And in Japanese, it is Koki Coco. And in Hebrew, it is Cuckoo Riku. None of which sounds like cockadoodle doo. Or what the actual sound like is, which is more a right? I got claps for imitating a rooster. <laughs> so that's good. That's good. I'll put that down in my journal. 
Anybody grow up on a farm with a rooster? Okay, oh, lots of people. Okay, it's like more every service. Um, these animals start crowing really early in the morning. I did, I did not grow up on a farm. I grew up in a suburban neighborhood across a four-lane highway from a mall. Um, but I do have TV, so I have seen roosters and heard them crow. I probably experienced a live rooster at some point in my life, but I don't have any recollection of it before I went to Port-au-Prince, Haiti on a mission trip after the devastating earthquake there in, in 2010. I was not on a farm. I was in a small hotel in a city of two million people and at least that many roosters, apparently, um, which would wake me up at about quarter of five every morning. It's not the noise. It's just it's the time of day that just drives you nuts, right? And remember, I'm not talking about one. I'm talking about tons of these animals that just walk the street, um, you know, and, and it's like free-range roosters all throughout Port-au-Prince. And um, it was like Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho in, in Port-au-Prince, except instead of having trumpets surrounding our hotels, it, it was the sound of cock-a-doodle-doo every single morning made me think the walls were a-tumbling down. But, I ever, but I'm, I'm asking you this morning, have you ever thought about how some of the most common things in our life, some of the most common sounds in our culture end up taking on sometimes much more important significance depending on what's taking place and the event around it. So the sound of the cock crow is important to the, to the crucifixion story, to the betrayal and arrest, to the uh, Good Friday story. It, it starts... Um, you know, there at, at the Last Supper, Jesus is with the disciples and, um, and they finished up dinner and he decides he's going to take them out to the city park called Gethsemane. And uh, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, y'all are going to lose faith in me and you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, are you out of your mind? You've got to be kidding me. And he resents this statement. He says, you know, these others might run, but I'm not going anywhere. They may be a bunch of cowards, but you can count on me to the end, Peter says. That's when Jesus says, all right, come here, listen carefully. When you hear the rooster crowing, you will have denied me three times. I'm sure he was just, you know, dumbfounded. And I'm not sure, you know, the next morning, you know, if, if he remembered the exact words of what Jesus had said the night before. You know, we all have a tendency to deny anything that makes us face ourselves and make us feel like a hypocrite. We have a knack for verbalizing or affirming what we know is basically good and right, so we make these promises. But if, however, the suggestion is made that we're not living up to those promises, well, then we push it to the back of our mind or we rationalize our behavior and we defend ourselves. I mean, that's kind of human nature, right? Peter had declared his loyalty. He had affirmed his willingness to die if necessary. He'd made a commitment and he swore that he would live up to it. And his appearance at the temple court the next morning was his way of saying, see, I told you, a, a promise is a promise. All the other disciples except John, they take off. They go hide out in somebody's home. But not Peter. He says, I'm ready to die for my friend. Peter stood outside waiting to hear the verdict from the religious establishment. The night air was cool, so we sat down at a fire with some total strangers. And we can imagine there's, you know, a little conversation going on as they all waited to see what the religious court was about to hand down. 
Peter's troubles begin when a servant girl recognizes him and says, I recognize you. You were hanging out with that Jesus guy. Uh Uh-uh, Peter says. I don't know what you're talking about. His denial accepted. He slowly gets away from the campfire, heads up maybe to a darker portico where he's not so easily recognized. But before long, another servant girl comes along and says, no, 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 she's right. He was with the Nazarene. This time, Peter swears an oath, assuring anyone within earshot, I didn't know the man. I'm sure he got louder. I'm sure he got a little tempestuous, if you will. The men begin to mutter among themselves, wondering why this stranger is so insistent. You know, he does have an accent. Sounds like he comes from up north, from maybe Sea of Galilee or someplace. So he goes over to, they go over to Peter and say, you know, those girls are right. Um, your accent betrays you. Again, Peter resorted to an oath, and this time adds a vow. It says, God in heaven knows I do not know the man. May he strike me dead if I'm lying. Now, using the name of God and a vow always assured any Jew that what this person said was true. Courtyard gang is convinced, and they leave him alone. So Peter's thinking at this point, I've convinced them. I've got them off my back. I'm going to wait for the verdict now without worrying about whether I'm going to get caught up in being guilty by association. So just as Peter settles in comfortably, secure in his lies, the sound of a rooster crowing breaks the dawn. An ordinary sound to most people in Jerusalem. Not to Peter, not that day. For Simon Peter, it was an awful reminder. He's stricken with grief. He realizes what he's done. He runs out of the courtyard and weeps bitterly in repentance. You nailed me, Jesus. You were right. I was wrong. I let you down. We now know from reading the book of Acts that he later experienced forgiveness from Jesus and was changed and never came close to denying Jesus again. In fact, Jesus was always on his lips. He was always professing Christ, a different person after he'd been forgiven. And I think the sound of a rooster crowing can mean forgiveness and repentance and change for all of us as well. Repentance. When was the last time you ever even heard that word outside the church? Right? That's the churchiest word you ever heard in your life, right? Repent, repent, you sinners, so you will be saved. It sounds like the kind of admonition that comes from a, a, a radio evangelist or maybe from some old-timey camp meeting or something. It, it brings to mind images of hellfire and brimstone and the end of the world, right? Um, there seems to be a stigma attached to the idea of repenting. We avoid using that word because it makes us feel bad. Well... While our experience with that word might be negative, I think we need to clear away those negative feelings. And perhaps, again, the sound of the rooster crowing might help us with that. There's a story that came out about 50 years ago. Uh, it was a novel written by Eric Siegel named Love Story. Anybody, anybody read the story or seen the movie? Okay. Um, and, uh, and there's a scene in which the two main characters, Oliver and Jenny, they're recently married. They have an argument. And Jenny rushes out of the apartment, and after a while, Oliver rushes after her, and and he finds her on the steps of a classroom building. And in this very moving and touching way, Oliver apologizes to Jenny 
for the argument. And she responds with words that I suspect you know, even if you've never seen the movie. Love means never having to say you're sorry, right? Uh, That is a nice-sounding ideal. And I'd like to believe it. But I don't. Not at all. The human personality makes recognizing and acknowledging our hurtful behavior important. It is necessary. Saying I'm sorry is a good first step toward repentance and reconciliation. Not saying it not only shows a a lack of sensitivity, it shows a lack of respect, a lack of manners, a lack of morals. Well, there's this little island in the Mediterranean Sea located in the south of France and west of Italy. It's been fought over for years between the French and the Italians. It's the island of Corsica. And the only thing I remember about Corsica from growing up in school was that that's where Napoleon was born. Well, right now it's controlled by France. And uh, every year on Good Friday in the Corsican village of Sartine, the drama of Christ carrying his cross is reenacted each year. This reenactment, I understand, has gone on since the Middle Ages, and people flock from all over the world to come witness this reenactment. Well, a few years ago, Newsweek magazine carried a feature story on this dramatization, calling it one of the world's most brutally powerful Easter week processions. The report gave a very graphic description of what occurred. On this particular week, he said there, there was a man barefooted with a hood over his head, And he staggered under the weight of this massive oak cross. And he dragged a 31-pound chain that was attached to his right ankle. And he grunted and he puffed as he bore the weight of the wood and the chain. And he stumbled along the dirt paths and the cobblestone streets and his feet began to bleed. And three times he fell down under the burden of carrying that cross. And each time the man playing the part of Simon of Cyrene would whisper, get up. You asked for this. The man who portrayed Christ that year was a conscience-stricken Frenchman. He was hooded, unknown to anyone else in the crowd except for the Catholic priest that allowed him to do this. And whoever he was, wherever he was from, the man was there voluntarily to atone for his sins. It was his way of saying, I'm sorry. He felt he could do so by reenacting Christ's walk to Golgotha. So popular is the part of Jesus that it is booked for the next 40 years by different people from around the world. It's a very dramatic and unusual event, but it serves as an inspiration of our spiritual need to say, I'm sorry. We need the opportunity to face our shortcomings, our misgivings, our sins, our prejudices, When the scripture says that Peter remembered and wept, it was the beginning of him saying, I'm sorry, and repenting. He said, I know, Jesus, I denied you. The word repentance means to be regretful, but the act of repenting takes it a step further. It means making a genuine effort to change, actually change. And that's harder, that's painful. Nobody really wants to change. It involves having to face up to our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and saying, I'm going to make this better. Stories told of two brothers convicted of stealing sheep. 
Reminiscent of the scarlet letter, the brutal punishment of their day required that the letters ST be branded on their forehead. ST. So that everyone would know that they're sheep thieves. One of the brothers, unable to deal with the stigma of, of, the, of that being forever put on his forehead, tried to lose himself in a foreign land. And whenever he was asked about the brand, he would just leave the conversation and go off somewhere else. And he died alone, bitter and full of hatred. The other brother, though, repented of his sheep thievery. He said to himself, I cannot run away from the fact that I stole sheep. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to try to make amends for what I've done. I'll stay and win back the respect of my neighbors and my own self-respect. And as the years passed, he did establish a reputation for being responsible and uh, a dignified part of the village. So much so that one day a stranger came to town and saw the man who's now an old man with the letters ST branded on his face. And he asked someone, well, what, what do those letters signify on the man's forehead? And after thinking for a while, the villager said, I don't really remember the particulars of why he has that there, but I think the letters are the abbreviation for saint. The one who was a saint in the eyes and minds of his fellow citizens accepted the invitation to repent and to change. To repent begins with saying, I'm sorry, but it continues with a change and the walk that begins at the beginning of a new day. When Peter heard the rooster crowing, he remembered, he changed, and he started a new life. As you go through this week and the next, listen for the everyday sounds of your life that are calling you back to God, calling you to change, calling you to a new day. Let them do for you what the rooster's crow did for St. Peter. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now let us prepare to go to Holy Communion by confessing our sins, repenting, beginning a new day together, being made alive by Christ's grace. Turn with me to page 12 in your hymnal, if you will. And I keep leaving my hymnal back there. Can I get yours? Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to continue to pray in silence. And now hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. 
it is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. And on the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks to God, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit make us one with Christ, one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. I'm going to ask those who are going to help if they'll come forward now and remind you that the bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. And the cup of salvation for which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. As always, there's a gluten-free station back behind the piano. Um, if you're new to Wrightsville, just want to um, let you know that you are welcome to this table. And what, how we do uh, communion is through what's called intinction, meaning that you'll be invited to come forward and you'll receive a piece of the bread and then dip the bread into the cup and then you can um, consume the element and then pray here at the altar rail or you can return to your seat. Sometimes it's the most common things. Right? The sound of a rooster crowing, the taste of bread, grape juice maybe, that calls us back to Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. 